You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I'm Rabbi T. Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at Let's Talk Torah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. So it's really time for Passover, time for Pesach, a fun family holiday, I hope, for everybody. If you don't remember all the rules and regulations, we're going to repost an old mock Seder that I made, so that'll hopefully get up there. And if not, just go search for it and just type in Passover, and it'll come up on the NRM Streamcast uh, webpage. In any case, um, today I just watched something fascinating. So it's a big deal. We've talked in the past. Uh, in schools, Orthodox day schools, it's a big deal to prepare the children for Passover. They should know what's happening, what's going on, have good questions, hopefully have comments, be excited and we give them, in third grade, we give them a lot of, like, little thoughts. Two-liners, three-liners, sometimes five. And I, I tell the boys, we practice them in class. But remember, you have 20 boys in class. You can't exactly listen to 20 boys say over each thought. It will take you hours, 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 hours. As it is, we put hours in to this special booklet we send home. And every class does it their way. Um, as they get into much older grades, 7th, 8th, um, the teacher may give them stuff, he'll help them prepare some things. They do it a little different. But in younger grades, they get a lot of prep. I teach them songs. So I have a boy in class who, who really has a major reading disability and we have a meeting next week with his child, and they've been doing testing. We're trying to help him. So I can't pair him up. What I do to make sure everybody has a chance to read every thought that they may say over, um, I, I pair them up, and each boy has to read to his partner. So that way they're actually reading the words, practicing the words. If there's words they can't read, either their partner will help them, they'll come back to me. But this boy, I can't pair up with anyone he can't read. It's not. It would be too hard for another third grader to have the patience to work with him. It's not fair. So I work with him. And he was pumped. He was all excited. He was going to read with me. And surprisingly, he made it through all the Torah thoughts I'd written down. And as I was going through the page with him, it's still clear he can't read. But he knew enough sight words and he'd been paying attention enough in class that between the sight words or the first letter of a word, it clicked in his memory um, what the, the Torah thought was about, which I found fascinating. And again, it's good to know that, yes, we have to deal with his reading and we have to help him um, be able to read. Reading is, of course, very, very important. But it's also important to realize that he may have disabilities on one 
area, but he's clearly smart enough that a lot of things are going into his brain. And he has a lot of information to share with the class, with his parents. So he has the ability to participate by his parents. Say there, he can feel good. We went through it. He wasn't embarrassed that he had to try to read with a partner and couldn't get it done. So it was nice to see, and uh, and I'm sure he will. He's like, you could see, he wasn't disappointed or depressed that he's having a hard time. He was really pumped to get through all this stuff. So, you know, it's just nice to see as a teacher and even as parents, our child not always will succeed in all the scholastic uh, things we do in class. But there's good things about each child. It is important to find them, bring them out, and and Passover is a great time because we're going to sit for a couple hours, two nights in a row, and the children are the focus so let's let's make them happy. Let's allow our children to shine. If the Seder becomes a bunch of adult uh, conversation, and yes, we'll drink the wine, we'll eat the matzah and the maror, but the children are sort of off to the side, we really, really miss the point. We miss the opportunity. First of all, the whole point is to teach our children. Forget about that. If they are not part and parcel of everything going on, we really, really miss the point. As a matter of fact, I just taught my class the verse, um, second or third verse in the Torah portion called Bo, um, says clearly, why is God doing all these things? So that we will tell our sons and grandsons, our children and grandchildren, it means the purpose is to tell over the stories to our children, to have the children engaged. I know there are people out there, they don't like when so many children come with so much stuff to say and, and the father's supposed to be talking and the children are taking over. The children are not taking over. The father has to be smart enough to run the show. But if the children are excited because they have what to say, so no one says that your mitzvah is to talk for three hours. Your mitzvah is to give over to your children. If they're focused, that that minute and a half of being focused, you win. If you talk for two hours and they're sleeping, so what? So you're very good. Uh, uh, we can use you to put people to sleep. I mean, what? So again, this is my personal opinion. But I see it in class. There's some times where you're going to have like a three-minute window where the children are super focused. I take advantage. I'll do extra verses. I'll review things that I want. I'll stick in. I'll get my, my stuff in in those three minutes while everybody else is banging their head on the wall to teach that stuff. It takes an hour. We, gotta, we, we have to get our children engaged. If they have piles of stuff, we're excited for them. We can't always hear everything. We'll be there till 4 o'clock in the morning. So we can't do everything. We have to be smart. But most important, we keep them engaged. I know one of my youngest is, he, you know, it sounds funny, he loved Corona because there was no company. So he got all the attention. So he has told us, he's quite verbal in that way, he's told us that, uh, you know, he prefers when nobody comes. So we told him, we said, you sit right next to me because if you're next to me, you get all the attention. If you're at some far end of the table and you think I'm going to find you, 
I'll, I'll look for you, I'll talk to you, but it's certainly not the same. Okay. Once we get into all this, let's let's discuss. It's really the the topic I want to get into for this show is what is our goal. So it sounds like the goal is to tell over the story. That's what I've been telling you. Maybe this, the goal is to have a nice family get together. Somebody told me the other night that I was pretty impressed. She told me she has thirty two people by her Passover seder. It's beautiful. It's a lot of family, a lot of relatives. I'm sure it's a whole production. That's not my number. I'm probably in the 20s somewhere. But but the point is not a family get-together, I don't think. What is it? So let's let's back it up, what we're going to talk about by the say there, and then hopefully we'll come to a clear conclusion. So later in the Haggadah, before we get to the second cup of wine— so we have the famous Reb Gamliel says, anyone who doesn't discuss these three things, he missed the boat. As these are the three things we must talk about, you talk about them, you win. What are they? So there's matzah, right? Why are we eating these wafer crackers, this matzah, this flat, crispy, tastes like cardboard, right? Why are we eating it? So then there's two reasons. One reason is because that's what poor people ate and we were slaves, we were treated like slaves. And second of all, because the next morning after the plague of the firstborn, when it's time to leave Egypt, so you have to, again, remember what it was like in those days, and it's good to talk about it. When we want breakfast, or our kids want breakfast, we pull out a box of cereal, fill up the bowl, pour in some milk, give the kid a spoon, and say, have a good life. If we're fancy people, maybe we make toast or eggs or oatmeal. What does it take you? Five minutes to prepare the kid breakfast? In those days, the mother, generally, had to get the flour. She may have even taken the the wheat kernels, grind it up, mix in the water, turn it into a dough, let it rise, then bake it. I mean, this could be a couple-hour preparation every morning. It's not like they had a freezer or preservatives. The bread was stale by the next day. But the Egyptians wanted us out of their country so fast, there was no time to let the dough rise. So eating the matzah, which has to be made within an 18-minute period, teaches us that, that to remind us how fast God took us out of Egypt. Okay, that's the matzah. Next, we have the mar. The mar is the bitter herbs. Whether you have romaine lettuce or plain lettuce or the horseradish or and whatever is your custom to eat, it's bitter. Or it reminds us of being bitter. To remind us we had a bitter, bitter exile. And the third thing that we talk about is the Passover sacrifice. We obviously do not have a Passover sacrifice nowadays. That's only when there is a temple. And... That is to remind us, that's the name Passover, right? Passover, it's, that's the word, right? In other words, God passed over our houses. Now, that's not fully correct, but, but it gives us the concept. In other words, God's coming down to destroy all, to kill all the firstborn. God knows exactly who everybody is. He knew who is Jewish, who's not Jewish. He knows who has to be killed, who doesn't have to be killed. But we need to recognize that the fact of the matter is God did not kill everybody. He could have killed us. We also were idol worshippers. We weren't so great at that time. But 
God says, I'm only killing the Egyptians, even if the Jewish people may deserve it as well, because the Jewish people are on the way out. So now, telling over these things, the idea is that we are saying thank you. It's a very interesting concept. Now, it's, the goal of the night is not just to tell over the story. Because we've told the story over, some of us, multiple times. Those who run their own Seder have perhaps said over the story 20, 30, 40 times. We know the story, right? And we're, yes, we're reteaching it. And every time we teach it, it gets more ingrained in us. And the whole concept that a father telling a child or a grandfather telling a grandchild, all that stuff is part of us. That's what happens when we tell the story over and over again. But one of the things we're trying to accomplish is we are saying thank you to God. The problem is thank you is easy. Hey, do me a favor, thank you. It's, it becomes a, um, just an offhanded remark that the etiquette tells us that we must say that word so maybe it loses value. So how do I make sure that it's a real thank you? A real thank you takes emotion. In other words, uh, yesterday I was by a goodbye party. Um, somebody was moving on in, in, in his job. So he gave a few thank yous to some of his coworkers. Um, he's dealt with my organization, so it's uh, we. it was nice to go, at least, you know, party, say goodbye. You could see he really felt... He really appreciated how his coworkers had worked with him for the four years he's been um, working with his federation. That's a real thank you. When I see you become emotional, when you say thank you, okay, you meant it. You just say, okay, thank you very much. Okay, you had to say thank you very much, but did you really care? How am I supposed to know? But you could tell. So that's what's going on. On Passover, when we tell over the story and we feel the story and we live the story and we then become emotional about the story, that becomes real. When it becomes real, then we give a real thank you to God. And that would be the goal of the evening. And as I told you, even to everything I said before, this one says uh, his Torah thought, and this one has his Torah thought, and this one has his question and, and her question, and she wants to sing her song, and she wants to show me her pictures, and she wants to show me her booklet. They're getting engaged. And as they get engaged, we talk about the story. And the more we talk about the story, the more we get into the story. As we get into it, we can get emotional about it. And then I got my window of time. Then I got my time. Everybody's focused, and everybody's with the program. And then I can say, okay, right? All these things. We're thanking God. We were slaves. He got us out real fast. He passed over our houses. We show appreciation, recognition to God. And that, perhaps, is the real goal of the evening. That is part one in this question that I asked you. What is the goal of the evening? And now I want to take it a, a, on a little bit different angle. And that is, if you think about it, even if I tell you I want to be emotional, I want to thank God, I want to appreciate God, all very good. But the truth of the matter is, it's an old story. You know what I mean? We're talking thousands of years ago. Yes, we were slaves, but okay, so 
don't we tell people to move on with life? Do we want everybody who suffered 50 years ago or 30 years ago or 200 years ago, do we want that person to keep reminding us how he suffered or she suffered? Or do we say, get over it, you're alive and well, move on? Which one is it? It can't just be that we're reminiscing about the bad old days. It just doesn't make sense that that would be the point of the Seder to reminisce that we suffered. There's got to be more to it. So very interesting. Um, is there was an Ichimai 11. He was speaking by a convention 100 years ago. And he asked this question. And he said the following answer. He said, the purpose of the slavery was to make the Jewish people into one big family. We suffered together. Nobody cared what you looked like. Nobody cared what your last name was. Nobody cared where you came from. And they weren't religious anyways. Right? We suffered together, and we need the constant reminder that we are one big family. The Jewish people are one big family. We look different. We talk different. We act different. We are different cultures around the world already. But it doesn't matter. When Passover comes, when we remind ourselves we were all in it together. Yes, now we've spread out and we may act different, we may talk different, we may be different levels of, uh, of being religious. I was going to say religiosity, but I think I made up that word a different show. Uh, but in any case, right, Passover comes, it is reminding us that we are one people. So it's very interesting. I read, I think, last week. Um, we're all familiar, of course. Uh, we had a show a couple weeks ago with my friend uh, Sam. We talked about the situation in Ukraine. And what was very interesting was Sam wanted to bring out that we shouldn't only be helping Jewish people. That was one of the things he wanted. He himself is Jewish. But somebody said recently, I have an article, I can't remember where, if you're in Ukraine right now, you're, you're Jewish. Everybody in Ukraine is Jewish. You know Why? Because there's piles of organizations. There's a multitude of different organizations that already, the joint, for example, it's Chabad is out there. There's other rabbis out there. There's all these different organizations that are very connected. They've been raising tens and tens of millions of dollars to help people get out of Ukraine. So if you're Jewish, there are people raising money to get you out. Are they running the people that are not Jewish? I would guess not. I'm not saying for sure not. They may be helping everybody. It's possible. But it sounds like that their first focus is we've got to get the Jews out. We are all Jews, Jews around the world. We want to help. We're raising money to help our Jewish brethren. It's very beautiful. So now, all of a sudden, um, if I live in Ukraine, it is in my best interest to be Jewish. Because if I'm Jewish, then you're going to come and save me. Can you can you imagine that for a second? So all of a sudden, um, you, you got to get out of whichever city you happen to be in, and you see your Jewish friends are getting on buses, and someone is taking care of them, and you say, what about me? Well, this is from this Jewish organization, this Jewish organization. Oh, I think my mother was Jewish. Oh, your mother was Jewish? Get on a bus. So it is interesting. When we talk about we're all one big family and Passover is coming— this is how we show we are all one big family. We all take care of each other. There were 
and again, I know people here have raised millions of dollars, many millions of dollars. But I know on the East Coast, um, very religious areas, rabbis have come out pretty much attacks, like demanding from everybody. You come up with $500, you are going to help people. We got to get people out. I know you're poor, but we got to help them. It can't be a situation where we could have saved, we didn't save. So like the Aguda and OU, all these different organizations are out there. But it's this concept. We were slaves in Egypt. We were all slaves. And that made us into one big family. And family takes care of each other. And, the, and again, the perfect sign of how family takes care of each other is exactly what's going on in the Ukraine right now. Okay. So just to throw in, in my few minutes left, at least for this topic, um, so I've been telling you that children are the focal point. So how do you keep your child engaged? So I've told you, you know, my kids are coming home or grandchildren with these booklets and these thoughts and they want their turn. They're going to say to Manishtana, how do you keep them engaged? So me personally is not a great example because I'm a teacher. I deal with young children all day long. It's my job to know how to keep young children engaged. And I'm even okay with some of the older ones. Sometimes they have their nose in a book to keep them occupied. For the most part, that's fine. When I have something to say, I wake them up. I didn't mean they're sleeping, they're studying, but they're reading about what's going on that night on a deeper level. But, but we keep them engaged. But what if you're not one of those? You're not a teacher. You don't teach. You're, you're an accountant. You're, you're a lawyer. You're, you're comfortable behind a desk or behind a computer, but not telling over the story. It's not your thing. How do you keep children engaged? So... Happens to be there's a lot of things people do. They're great ideas. Again, some things you're embarrassed, some not. doesn't matter. The easiest one is people hand out like little chocolate chips or little candies. Make sure it's uh, kosher um, or nuts, right? And what they do is they tell the children, anybody who asks me a question, you get a candy, you get a nut, you get a chocolate. Um, I know people give out like tickets. And then after Passover, they take the tickets and they buy them a prize. They'll go wild. They, okay, yes, okay. Uh, anybody who calls out or who jumps on the table, I, I can't call on you. And uh, But you make sure you give everybody a turn. They will go crazy. They will love it. And you don't have to be professional. You know, you're professional for this. You, and every question is a good question. In my house, the joke is that um, every question has the same answer. That's a great question. Like you're asking like... Uh, I don't know why there are three matzos, right? Uh, why are four cups of wine? You know why? Because we were slaves to Pharaoh and God took us out. What does that have to do with the answer? First of all, it's the answer because that's the point of the night to make sure we inculcate the story as we've been talking. But second of all, the kid doesn't care if they're little because they just want the candy. But they're engaged and they get a little bit older and they make fun of your answer, and you say, no, let's think, and then you can d dive into why it's really a good answer. So that's like if you needed something to, to keep, you could do it for adults also, but I'm not sure, you might need something more than a candy or a piece of chocolate, but I'm sure you can figure it out. So that's number one, keeping them engaged. Next, of course, those that have the ability, the children, like say the Manashtana, Hebrew, English, Yiddish, French, Spanish, I've heard so many in my house over the years, and yes, I don't speak all those languages, but they do, so who cares? 
they're so excited. Stand up on a chair and say it, and everybody applauds them, and they're so excited. And the shy child, you take them off to the side, you listen privately, no problem. Uh, of course, stealing the afikomen depends where you come from. Um, I remember my grandfather, he used to hide it, and we had to find it. I hated that because I was terrible at finding things. And it bothered me that I didn't get um, any prize because I couldn't find it. But I let my kids steal it. I have to go find it later. They're all running. and They're trying to come up with the most amazing hiding spot you can imagine. I'm not really looking. It's in a pitch black room. I can't turn on the light. So you put it wherever you want. And we'll have to get back to this. But of course... The music is playing. I hope you like it short and sweet as always. You know, I couldn't do it without you. Thank you under for uh, sponsor listeners. Thank you under production team. We have David Sisko and Andy in the back. And we've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it.